House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. Selling, sounding really butch still from my <laughs> COVID cold, and Mr. Martino's having a cocktail there. A cocktail? Well, no, 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 it's tea, Al. Yeah, please. <laughs> Never seen tea like like that before. <laughs> you know, as got this, and and yeah, he's got tea with liquor in it. Please, just because it's in a rocks glass. Yeah, I mean, it's iced tea. It's alcohol. It's iced tea. Please. Yeah, yeah. Please. We know yeah. your type. <laughs> Orders pizza on Halloween. Like, how does that happen? Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a tradition now. <laughs> They're ordering pizza. Yeah, but I, how I just, do they know? Like how do they, like how do they get through all the kids and the candy and all that? Well, luckily there are no kids. <laughs> oh, they know better. They know. Oh, don't do yeah. that, strange man's house. That's right. They stay He's always away. out there doing weird karate jumps yeah. and stuff on the they, lawn. They stay far away. Yeah, I bet they do. You know, it's <laughs> probably a report on you. You know. Yes. Well. No, my my records were expunged. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an innocent yeah. man. Yeah, change your name again. <laughs> Well, speaking of expunged, we have a um, <laughs> an ex-con. No, we actually have a writer um, from Canada and a science fiction guy. Can you believe that? No. And yeah, so let's yeah. let's get him in here and let's let's make his day awful. So, Mr. Scott Overton, thank you for being here. <laughs> expunged, and you guys, I'm trying to keep a straight face while you're doing all this talking back and forth. <laughs> I, by the way, I'm sipping just honey and lemon and hot water in a mug covered with uh, baby Yoda's face. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't either. It just happens to be the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, strange things go on up north. Well, you know? Yeah. Looking forward to this because I know you guys have great conversations on this show. Well, we try. You know, I've got the whips out and we're ready. Um, but you know, this is, I always kind of, first of all, you see, I'm an old guy and I look at science fiction nowadays. And for me, I always think of, um, old sci-fi, you know, uh, the time machine and all those, all those old things that you'd see, uh, which are so, so good. They're fantastic. As a matter of fact, um, my newest book, I, I actually put out a hardcover edition cause I like the cover of that so much i like two covers one was good for paperback and people told me that was a good one and then there was this other cover that looked like a vintage isaac asimov cover from the 70s and i said i gotta have that too i love that stuff well yeah so it's got pictures great i can read it <laughs> um, <laughs> on the outside it has pictures oh not on the inside oh it's a cover well yeah well, you've got to make one of those graphic things. Graphic novels. <laughs> well, I'll, no, I'll bear that in mind, Alan. Well, I'm good for advice. So now mm. the problem I have, not a problem, but the things that I'm having an issue with is there's so many different types of science fiction nowadays. It used to be they were all put in one group. You'd watch it or you'd read it, and it was kind of the mind was thinking about the fiction and the science. Like it was moving around. Nowadays, there's so many divisions that I, I get confused by it. I was just talking about that because we had a te techno thriller Enigma series, the, the guy on there, and it was like... Right, yeah, I heard that. He actually. was really upset about um, being called sci-fi or horror or any of those different different names. And um, and I I'm, I find that confusing. I'm just not sure how that... Well, I consider that uh, techno thrillers pretty much enter into the science fiction realm. I mean, I think of... Michael Crichton's work a lot of times has techno thrillers, and they're not, perhaps, in some people's mind. To mine, they are, um, and people compare my work to his often enough that in that they've got a, a science fiction concept, something weird like, you know, cloning dinosaurs, um, but a thriller kind of plot. So not your typical what people thought of as science fiction plots where people go into space and they whatever, you know, um, strange societies develop or who knows. Um 
yeah, I, there are so many different kinds of it. If you look at the Amazon categories for science fiction, there are about six or seven very well-established subcategories, and you have to pick which one your book fits or just lump it into general science fiction, which, you know, you can do too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just confusing for me. And even fantasy, that word, right? I'm thinking, you know, so people go, I have a fantasy. Um, I'm a fantasy author, and I'm thinking fantasy island you know but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have people ask me if you know i have any fantasy books or whatever and i say well not anything high fantasy but i've written uh, fantasy short stories meaning that they're out there that they're, they're a little weird i i would compare them to ray bradbury's short fiction in the sense that they are fantasy they are off beat they're off the beaten path doesn't mean they have elves and uh, dwarves and wizards and things like that. Not at all. So, yeah, you're right. Fantasy there, too, has uh, such a broad spectrum. Yeah, yeah, it's very unusual uh, for me. But, um, well, so what got you on this road? And I always ask this in a sense of um, it takes a lot to write a book um, and to actually publish it. And whether you go through agent or whether you go through publisher, self-publishing, um writing it on paper and leaving it in bathrooms what it's it, it's it's a lot of work to do this i haven't tried that one yet i gotta that's get to a, that that, my yeah. best sellers are in bathrooms everywhere <laughs> just so you know it's it, it's a labor of love there's no question about it and in whichever way you go it is a very hard road um but i always wanted to be a writer i was a writer as a little kid as soon as i could put words to paper I would write stories, and I grew up on science fiction. My father particularly loved science fiction, and we'd have these long and involved conversations about science fiction novels around the kitchen table after dinner, sipping our tea and whatever. Uh, and and so I always wanted to do that. It Life got in the way. A career as a radio personality like you guys uh, got in the way, but I eventually got into writing, and that's what I do now. And science fiction was my first choice. People ask, again, you know, why science fiction? And really, it's because that's where my ideas come. We don't control where our ideas come from. We can't. But I have no new things to add to the family saga or to historical fiction or to mystery stories or anything like that. I have no ideas along those lines. My ideas come in the form of, hey, this is a weird concept, or what if this were to go in that direction? And where would it lead? And those kinds of things. So uh, I just really don't have any choice. That's what I write. Well, do you feel the speed of innovation and technology makes it harder to stay, you know, a step ahead of current technology when it comes to... Oh, my <laughs> gosh, yes. Oh, well, um, the, the my newest book, Augment Nation, is about brain augments. It is about uh, direct brain-computer interfaces, as they call them. So they're computerized brain assists. you got the computer power, but you've also got the connection to the Internet with a thought. And the thing is, brain-computer interfaces have been around. Well, they've been experimenting with animals since the 70s, with people since the 80s and 90s. They're around. You can buy different kinds to help Primarily, the technology has been to help people with disabilities of one kind or another, whether neurological or, or brain damage or, you know, debilitating, wasting diseases of the nervous system, whatever. Uh, and they let them control computer cursors to communicate or robotic devices or, in some cases, some of their own, you know, limbs who may, which may not be responding. And so that technology is there. It's coming along. People know of Elon Musk's Neuralink company, but there are others that are even farther into human trials and stuff. And uh, I really had to feel the pressure to get this out because I set this book about 20 years from now at a time where I see these devices becoming uh, consumer items, taking over from smartphones because they can do all those things and so much more with the thought. And the technology, I think, will get there within 20, 25 years so, yeah, the pressure to get it out before that uh, happens is very strong. How do, how do you know, when, like when you're writing and you're putting together a book, like the new one, Augment Nation, right here, um, how do you know when what you've written is good? I d when someone tells you it's good, 
when you have a reader come up to you and say, my Lord, I couldn't put it down. I loved it. Uh, that's when you think it might be good. I, 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 I can't say there is a place or a, a situation in which I would say, I know this is good. Now, I mean, that particular one, I had a very, very well-placed, well-experienced New York agent tell me it was a powerful novel. And I thought, that's good. And I had uh, um, Robert J. Sawyer, whom you guys interviewed, I think, last spring, yeah. maybe March. Uh, and he is the dean of Canadian science fiction, and he gave me a very, very kind blurb about the book and meaning to take in my work in general. So I was very blessed with that. But is there a time and place and means by which you know that the book is good? No, I don't. I don't know if there is. Yeah, I'm just trying to get information because I want to make a career out of this. So, <laughs> uh, sure you would. Why would you not want to give up what you're doing yeah. now and live in yes. poverty? Hey, yeah. I want to. I want to be successful at this. So you know, uh, so I got to you know find out. Um, Everybody wants to live the glamorous writer's life. Oh, Alan. Okay, I mean, every, yeah, must be nice. And you have. <laughs> you know what it's like. Yeah. Um, well, that's. It, it, but but how do you know when it's ready to go then? Oh re- well, now I do work, um, and if something is published through my own means, through my own publishing company, I work with a professional editor, and I also always ask people to read them. You know what we in the biz call beta readers. I know you've heard the term before. So there are people who volunteer to read the book, and assess it as readers we don't ask them to assess it as critics or as editors but just as readers and is there a bad you know slump in the middle of the book are there characters that are are not believable is there a plot resolution that just doesn't work anything like that we ask them and if you get a lot of answers that say yeah this part's crap well it's probably not ready but if I find that the answers are very minimal or can be easily fixed, then I fix them. Then I send it to my editor, whom I've trusted for now four novels, I guess. And um, and we go ahead. We go yeah. ahead with it. You can always just have the beta readers killed. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had to reach that point. I mean, I've certainly disagreed with some, wondering what their agendas were. But that's not very yeah. often. Not very yeah. often. Well, just, I'm just telling you, you know, just when in doubt. Uh, I, I'll bear that in mind. I'm taking a note on that yeah, right yeah. now. Take Here we step. go. Yes. This is important. And then after the show, we can talk about your contacts. Oh, for sure. Content. That's what Dave does. Do you think okay. he works on the radio? He's drinking and he gets primed. <laughs> That's how he has the money to have the yeah. cocktail. Yeah, while we're doing he does cocktails okay. and he goes out for a drive. <laughs> A good sideline yeah. business. Good yeah. for you. Dan. He knows what he's doing here. You know, he's got a absolutely. Right? Can we can we extend it to uh, reviewers who give authors bad reviews? Oh, do you do God, them yeah. too? Maybe yeah, a yeah. Group discount yeah. rate. And and sometimes good. he'll do two for one. Dirty deeds <laughs> done dirt cheap. Right? Yeah. <laughs> excellent. That's excellent. What he does. Well, uh, but uh, I still I'm still trying to figure out um, when you write a book. Um, what comes first? Is it your characters or is it the idea here? Because this is important. Oh, you know, yeah, it is important. And I'll, I have to kind of give an answer that sounds a little wishy-washy, but I think it's different for everyone. Now, my own view, I probably wiggled my way into the way I now work it, but it came to me as I was working on it that really everything is about character. And this came even when I was writing short stories, which sometimes are just not much more than vignettes, but everything's still about character in that if you have no character that the audience is identifying with, if they don't care about the main character, whether they live, they die, or hurt anything, the story cannot really have the impact that you want to have it. You can throw them into any kind of conflict or any kind of uh, life-threatening situation, whatever you want. If the reader doesn't care about them, then they won't care what happens either. And so I think it really does come down to that. You need to have a character and probably more than one that people care about and want to know what happens to them. So then they can become invested we all read and we become invested in these great characters and feel they're all maybe a little part of us or a part of us in them. 
and then we can follow that story. But, uh, but of course, then you've got a concept, you've got um, maybe some other ideas, the strong themes, those are all important. So uh, I guess my answer is a little bit of everything. I do tend to start with a concept and a theme that I want to get across. And then, as other writers may have told you, I'll find a character who best uh, illustrates what I want to get across in that theme. So I know that others, and I'm, I'm thinking Robert J. Sawyer again, um, he has often used Planet of the Apes, the movie, as an example, in that Charlton Heston's character uh, you know, starts the movie blasting the human race. They're terrible. They're awful. We're, we're so useless. We should be gone. And, and then he ends up having to defend the human race. So if your theme is to defend the human race or explore something along that line, pick a character who is trashing it in the first place and has to come to a realization that, hey, maybe maybe things are not the way I saw them. Well, do you find it a difficult balancing act to basically balance that the, the uh, plausible science, technology, with plot, characterization, theme, all of that? I think you do have to take some artistic license every now and again. I really, really work to try to establish uh, as much knowledge of the science as I possibly can when I'm going into some kind of concept. But I'm not a scientist. I know that I miss some things, perhaps. I have one novel called The Primus Labyrinth. It was my first science fiction novel. And it was inspired by the old movie Fantastic Voyage, which you probably remember, you guys would, being old guys like me. <laughs> what are you um, trying to say? And, <laughs> and but yet with nanotechnology, present day or very near future, very near future technology. And so I know one, one of my um, beta readers who was a scientist said, well, what about browning motion? Um, you know, there's the, the motion of the molecules. Wouldn't that affect how this submersible... Yeah, yeah, I probably would, but I just ignored it. You know, sometimes you have to reach a point where you ignore it and hope that it's not critical to readers. Do you worry about crossing into the conspiratorial world because it's been so, um, I guess, crazy is the best term I can come up with, even though that's not politically correct. But it's been really kind of powerful the last five years, let's just say. So do you worry about crossing into that yes. sort of field? I absolutely do. I wouldn't have normally with most of my books, but this one, Augment Nation, my newest, uh, does certainly take it to that extent. Because, of course, you know, when you have these brain-computer interfaces that directly connect to the Internet, it, that connection goes the other way, too. And we know the different things that we suspect with marketing, and not just suspect, but no. I, I think everybody kind of figures the... and. Uh, NSA can have every kind of uh, surveillance going and probably does. And marketers know what we talk about and pop up ads about what we were talking about with our friends, all these things, you know. So when you get into that and take that, throw in some steroids, take it to the nth degree, obviously marketers, big companies and governments will want that kind of access to our minds there isn't really any question about it. So then you are getting into conspiracy theory territory. I don't believe that uh, most of the things put forward by conspiracy theorists nowadays are with the technology. I, I think the technology isn't there yet. I think they're fantasy at the moment, but not always necessarily. So with the technology that I describe in this book, even when I've told people about it, they kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, that's truth. That's truth. That's really happening. Well, <clears throat> no, not yet, but it could. And that's my point in the book is, you know, before this technology gets to that point, let's be aware that it's a possibility and think about how we want to take this. Well, that's, that seems to be an issue for humans, you know, uh, thinking, that is. Um, because, because I don't know. I don't know. Um, there, there's sort of a, the last years it's been kind of crazy. So I just don't, there's not a lot of, there's a lot more emotion that goes into, um, 
general thinking and stuff like that. That's sort of why I asked about conspiracy, because there's so much emotion behind conspiracy that when you get into science fiction, it can, it can kind of carry over in your characters, right? And some of the stories can be really great when it comes to conspiracies. And, you know, even if you look at something like 1984, well, uh, the idea that we could be headed in that direction then feeds into the conspiracy mindset. And and many of the other cautionary tales that I kind of feel um, Augment Nation fits into, you know, Fahrenheit 451, any of the those severe uh, kind of things, yeah, I mean... The idea our society could be going in those directions feeds into fear. And as I don't have to tell you, fear has been a real commodity these days where the media feeds on it and governments feed on it. And they know that fear is one of those powerful things they can tap into. And so I'm not sure where it's all going to go, but it is one of those things, one of the most powerful of emotions. And when you can tap into that, well, for one thing, you can have a really great story, but you can also have some really terrible results in the real world. Yeah. Why did you start your own group and then have kind of all these followers and that? And they, <laughs> I'm, you know. Is there a way to make money that way? Can you well, I think so. I think so. You get them on board. You know, they're they're believing uh, everything you say and do, and they'll all well, buy I have, your book. Yeah. I hear you have a former president who makes a lot of money. And uh, maybe I'll look into that. <laughs> Apparently, he raises quite a bit. Yeah, don't blame that on me. <laughs> okay. That's Dave's fault. Okay. Oh, okay. It's always Dave. my fault. Yeah. There you go, Dave. Yeah, he's out drinking and not voting, and look what happens. <laughs> but, uh, well, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, do you have something in your mind? Well, of course not. But do you have something in your mind that you Nothing want? Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> no, it's just like it's just kind of rattling there. Yeah, yeah. No, but do you have something that you want people to get out of a book? Or is it pure entertainment for you? Oh, no, no. It's not pure entertainment for me. It's always very much, uh, a, I say, a theme rather than a message because I don't want to hit people over the heads with it. Um, Augment Nation is very primarily about the kind of privacy issues that we are dealing with now with smartphones and things, we give up so much of our privacy and private information and so much access to ourselves and our lives just for reward points or very much for convenience. We're really big on convenience. And if it means we can get convenience, oh, yeah, they can listen in on anything and do anything they want with our information, and we won't read that fine print. And so it's very much about that as a kind of a cautionary thing, not slamming people, because I do that too. I have my smartphone with me all the time. But it's kind of be aware, folks, that there's always this side of it, and we should be cognizant of that with whatever we do and whatever we get ourselves into. So that book is very much about that. I have other ones. I mean, I mentioned The Primus Labyrinth. It's about traveling through the bloodstream, but modernized from Fantastic Voyage. There's a lot in that about the uh, the privacy and inviolability, if you like, of the body. The victim is a, is a uh, VIP very close to the American president, and the submersible is traveling through the bloodstream to try to save her life. But she has not been told what happened to her by presidential edict. He says, there's no way she can know what's happening. So the pilot of this submersible has a very big problem with that. He's going places no man has gone before. Uh, and and she's not aware. And even though they're trying to save her life, he has a big problem with that. I have another uh, another novel called Naida. It's about a man who ends up with a symbiotic alien being living in him. And they have to learn to live together, and it gives him some special abilities. There's some element of the superhero origin story there. But played very straight, like what in the world would you do if that happened? But it's very thematically about how much can a human being be changed and still be human. I mean, the main character feels human, no question about it, but ask some of the women that he'd like to have a relationship with, and May not be quite so much certainty there. So, yes, long answer to your your question. I believe that science fiction should explore, A, our society of today, 
and the important issues, and then B, strong themes that uh, affect everyone, that uh, are just part of the human condition. Uh, yeah, you know, um, your your character, uh, Damon, in this in this newest book here, um, how do you create a character? How does it that you develop this this person? Um, is it totally out of the blue in your mind? Is it someone you've met on the road, maybe in a, you know? You know, that's, that's a tough one as far as that goes. I don't, don't think I met him in a ditch or a bus stop or anything like that. Of course, we take pieces from everybody we know right. and a lot of pieces from ourselves, I'm sure. Although I wouldn't consider him to be very much like me. Again, that was a case of here's the concept. You've got the promise and the peril of this brain-computer interface technology. And so what happens? Well, the society's happening. You can't just paint a big picture of the society doing this. You've got to take it down to the microcosm of a, of one person's story. And I decided it would be good to have a person like Damon, who in his case has had a brain-computer interface implanted in his skull since he was 14 to correct a condition caused by some brain damage from a car accident. So by the time he's an adult, this is when these BCIs become uh, more commercialized and consumer-oriented. He is very well placed to not only detect and uh, understand the drawbacks, but fight against them. So he ends up being a kind of a reluctant, I don't want to say hero, he's not the heroic type, but at the same time, uh, resistance leader, if you want. Uh, and And that's how it came about. I thought, who would be best to epitomize this well someone who's got one and knows the territory and knows the drawbacks and can help fight against it but at the same time he's he's got his own challenges his own issues he's not your stereotypical hero type to try to fight back against the institutions and governments of the world well do you have an inner monologue in your head can you hear uh damon uh when you're writing dialogue or when you're writing prose or any of your other characters, how do you, how do you create dialogue? There are, there are ways you can do it. I heard uh, one really good trick that I have uh, kind of followed in ways and adapted in different ways from the UK writer, David Mitchell, who wrote uh, cloud Atlas among others, brilliant, brilliant writer. And I did a, a week long course with him and he helped me kind of outline one book, not this one, but he would write letters to himself as the author from the character. So the character is writing a letter to the author saying, hi, you know, like, this is me, and why do you have me doing this situation? And you know that my background is such and such and such and such made me weak in this area. I mean, you throw me into the, you know, in with the lions or whatever. So he's, he's got this going and writing that letter, you can establish the voice of the character, the sound of how they would talk, the things they would talk about, the things they wouldn't want to talk about. And, and there are little tricks like that, that you can use to kind of, uh, try to establish that voice it's especially important if you're going to do a first person narration which i have done um but mostly in short fiction and in novels that i haven't gotten around to having published yet that's a that's a whole tricky area as well i usually write third person but that uh, uh, to answer your question I think is what it is. You try to uh, find a way to write it. It could be a conversation that they have with somebody else um, that you're just writing a scenario that may not have anything to do with the book, but you write out this this conversation or a job interview or whatever, and by that you can kind of find their voice. So that, that's a good trick. Interesting. Sounds nutty to me. <laughs> well that's as nutty as the writers who will tell you alan yeah i was going to have the plot go this way but the characters changed their minds and it went that way instead yeah and yet that can happen now i'm an, i'm one of the the writers that don't fly by the seat of our pants you know writers talk about pantsers and plotters people who just got an idea and they start and they write with it and go with it, and others who outline and outline. And I'm on the more of the heavy outline side of things. But wow. at the same time, once you actually start to write the story, if you've fleshed out those characters and you really do have backstories and all these different characteristics of them, 
yeah, they can get to a situation and you realize, wait, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't react the way that I have them reacting. They're going to react this way. I've got to change something. Right. Right. But you know, the characteristics of some of your characters, like all of the characters, especially your main ones, there's certain aspects to it that you've almost got to write them a little larger than life. Otherwise it doesn't play out real. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I, I don't know. I, my very first novel was about the radio business. It's a novel called Dead Air, because every radio novel has to be... <laughs> You're talking about my... <laughs> I think there's a law that says if you write a novel about radio, you've got to call it Dead Air, or work that in there somewhere. But especially if it's a kind of mystery or thriller uh, uh, plot, you know, it just fits in there. So the character is not particularly likable to start with, and he's got a character arc seeking redemption which is the age old most often quoted character arc this flawed character who's seeking redemption so you know you go that way i don't think he's larger than life but of course in many cases fiction things happen to them that you really don't expect to happen to real people that's what makes it fiction or at least the kind of fiction that I write. So, you know, are they larger than life? I think they yeah. have to be to the point where they cope with some things that we might consider unthinkable. Having an alien being suddenly take over and live in your body, you know, not take over necessarily, but live in your body. That's unthinkable. And some of the other characters... You sure that was just it wasn't bad gas? <laughs> well, it communicates. So I've never had a case of gas that was quite well, like that. Let's not go there. Well, you know, I, I ate at this Mexican restaurant. <laughs> so they cope with unthinkable yeah. situations or nearly unthinkable situations uh, that we would never want to cope with. They're larger than life in that sense, I guess. But they also have to have enough common, ordinary humanity that uh, we identify with them and put ourselves in their place. The best stories, anyway. I mean, I, I know there are there are people like Jack Reacher in fiction who, I mean, yeah, larger than life in every sense. The guy's huge. He always wins. He has never met a challenge that he couldn't uh, defeat pretty handily. So, hey. Yeah. People seem to go for that, but you know what I mean? It is popular. I think it's not as useful for exploring uh, what I was talking about in the way of issues that affect humanity. If you want right. to have an issue that affects everyday humans and maybe all of us, you kind of have to have something that we can identify with. Can we identify with Jack Reacher? No, we'd like to know about his adventures, but we can't really identify with him. We <laughs> Yeah, we like to know what he's got in, uh, in under it. Well, that's a, that's that's my. But yeah, I know what you're saying because they because when they're Jack Reacher, they make it look too easy. They do, the and so that really can't help you as an ordinary person deal with this issue or give you any ins insights into how to deal with that issue. It's just kind of like, well, yeah, I wish I wish I could solve that problem. If your issue is poverty and you got a hero who's rich, how does that help you? solve your you know impoverished kind of life or whatever the case may be it doesn't do anything for you that way it doesn't really give you any insight so i think to explore issues of of human nature you have to have a more identifiable smaller not larger than life character not too much anyway well i'm wondering too you mentioned aliens and having an alien character um is that mainly imagination for you or is it um do, do you do a lot of research to to create something like that well as far as aliens go i don't know what research you can do except in, in fiction you know um and yet there have been so many aliens in fiction and so many non-humans that you wouldn't necessarily call aliens in fiction and they're really interesting to explore um in my novel naida naida is the name that the human character gives to the alien character and the alien is essentially an adolescent it it comes almost like an embryo into his body and grows from there and and as an adolescent it's well meaning but it knows nothing about its own species it knows nothing about the human species so there's a lot of stuff that's interesting to explore and really that's 
imagination, but where else can you draw from? Well, you can draw on what you know of kids, raising kids, and how they explore the world and how they react to things they don't know about. So I think I drew from that quite a bit, and knowledge of adolescence and some of the the ways that they go wrong, (laughs) meaning the very best, they still make mistakes. So, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess, in a sense, um, when you draw from other fiction, it's almost like when you take, uh, let's say, vampires or monsters, you know, and stuff like that. There's a lot of kind of, um, I guess trope would be the word, but there's certain things that come along with these creatures, just like aliens. So there's certain things you expect out of an alien. Do you draw your draw your alien from that, what's already been done, or is this sort of, do you try to be different than that? Well, if you can do something fresh, that's all great. That's that's wonderful. But there have been a lot of symbiotic alien beings living inside humans in, uh, you know, especially TV shows. I'm thinking like Stargate and Star Trek, um, Deep Space Nine and stuff. There have been a lot of those kinds of characters. Um, I think that I chose the right path when I made my alien an, an embryo, a child sort of to begin with, so that it 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 is influenced a bit by an artificial intelligence that was kind of guarding it, shepherding it. But beyond that, it really doesn't know what it's supposed to act like, doesn't know what its human expects, and all of that. So I, I could be, I think, kind of fresh with that. I didn't have to draw on a lot of other ideas of, of that. Many of the uh, symbiotic relationships will have an alien that's, you know, either lived through multiple lives with other characters, as in Star Trek, or at least is long-lived, has lots of experience and and whatnot. I didn't go in that direction, and I was happy that I didn't. So what's your inspiration? And I and I don't mean that like you know what's your favorite writer and blah 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 and that stuff. Do you, do you have an inspiration outside of writing that uh, you draw from? Wow, um, I I'm not sure that I can answer that in the way that you're intending the question. I am inspired by nature. I love the natural world and live actually on an island, kind of in. It's not right in the middle of nowhere, but it's a long way from from uh, many people. And uh, I just love the natural world that way and feel very strongly about it. And in a a work in progress that I'm working on, I have a space character. Uh, He works out in space, but he has this syndrome whereby he can't stand to be away from Earth. And he has to treat it with virtual reality and, and various things like that. Because I wouldn't, much as I love Star Trek and many other things, I couldn't stand to be away from this planet and living in a can, however big and luxurious or anything like that, for months and months and months, if not years on end. I would go crazy. And so that nature inspires me. But yet it doesn't necessarily figure into a lot of my fiction. There are some of my books... Um, and particularly ones that I haven't yet published that do get into the natural world in that sense. Several of them I can think of that I've written uh, quite a number that I haven't um, gotten to publishing yet. But, yeah, I I do find that as an inspiration. Well, how do you know you're not crazy now and that living in a can for months would make (laughs) you sane? Well, there's always that question. And... Uh, you know, consciousness and the nature of consciousness was a very, very big thing in a lot of my fiction that I was writing. In, in a lot of short fiction, it figures quite strongly into the books, the novels that I have published so far, because you got augment nation where uh, the the consciousness is connected to the Internet. At what point are outside influences, outside thoughts coming into your head and how do you begin to know the dif- the difference after some point? How do you know what was your idea and what was someone else's? There's that element of consciousness. There's the element in Naida with the alien being that's a consciousness. It's a, a sentient being in itself, and yet now you've got two consciousnesses in the same body. I also have a, a novel just previous to Augment Nation called The Dispossession of Dylan Knox, whereby uh, Dylan Knox is no longer 
in the body of Dylan Knox, but there are three other personalities in that body. And so I explore the consciousness aspect of that and the relationship aspect of that too. And, um, and the Primus Labyrinth again, where traveling through the bloodstream, controlling a nanotechnology virus size submersible, the pilot, he's sort of PTSD in the sense he's uh, survived a very traumatic accident in a submersible, but he's connecting by virtual reality. And it's this mental link that becomes so strong, he begins to not be sure which is the reality, the inner world of the bloodstream or the outer world of uh, what we think of our own bodies and and everything he goes through that way. So consciousness is a very strong theme and concept of mine too that I explore. Well, you mentioned short fiction. Do you have a preference? Uh, do you feel like you're a natural novelist uh, writing short fiction or a, a natural short fiction writer writing novels? To be honest, I think I, I spent more time writing short fiction in a way to establish credibility, street cred, you know? You establish your um, credentials that way in short fiction. But I did enjoy it. I, I do prefer to write novels, but I certainly did enjoy writing short fiction in many different ways, and I, I've put a collection together. I've put out some that are in the form of just short ebook anthologies of about three stories each and then gathered about 15 of them together into a, a book that's available by print on demand. I just call that Beyond. But it's uh, it goes all over the place. Space, time travel, um, some that you would call fantasy, but in the sense of one story where it's about this little girl who uh, goes around a, an old burnt-out town site eating blueberries, and by virtue of eating the blueberries, she learns things about the past and about uh, language, not her native language, and things like that that she should never have picked up. That's a fantasy story, but it was fun to explore. So... Uh, those, whereas a novel will take you so much time to have to write, and you can't explore every concept in novel form, um, short fiction is the answer there. So supernatural and and spirituality and ghosts and all that stuff, occult. Do you do you ever get into that area or venture that? at all in any of your books? I don't know that I would consider anything that uh, would be a cult per se. I'm not afraid of, uh, you know, having a science fiction story that really doesn't have a lot of science or that I don't get into the science for. My first ever published short story was about a guy who could walk through walls. And the way he did it was because he, he it, it got to the parallel universe theory where... He kind of tuned his body, his molecules, mentally, like a radio dial, and he could just tune them slightly, and he would be venturing into a very near parallel universe where that wall didn't exist. But hopefully a floor existed, or he'd be in trouble. You know, um, so, yeah, that kind of thing is, is, is interesting, too. But I don't know that I would call it a cult. I, I can enjoy reading those kinds of stories. You know, the urban fantasy type things where they've got um, werewolves and vampires and things. I just uh, I just don't write them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sometimes I know when when people are dealing with, you know, what is consciousness and they get into that. And quite often the, the spirituality or supernatural part of it, of the world can get into it, contacting another uh, being that used to live or something, you know, that kind of thing. So Yes, I get I, you. Yeah, you know, so I, I always kind of see um, where your head's at there. You know, yeah. if you're completely insane, or if you're just. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to, I tend to believe in, first off, the ongoing existence of the consciousness, hopefully after death. What form that takes, I tend to kind of believe in, you know, um, group consciousnesses, as if the consciousness is joined together in the universe and continue on in some unknown form. So that's a little bit about what you're talking about. I don't like to think about our death comes and that consciousness that sprang from nowhere and is just a, a wonderful miracle is gone suddenly over end of story. I, I find I can't bring myself to believe that. 
So I have to think of some other way that the, the consciousness can go on. I haven't really explored the idea of past consciousnesses um, coming into the future or something like that, or those who are dead. Uh, my story, the dispossession of Dylan Knox, the dispossession part is a riff on possession as in demonic possession. But these beings that have kind of taken the, the body over are not from the past. They're from somewhere else that I don't necessarily want to give away yet. Yeah, right. Well, thank God. That means Brittany will live forever. <laughs> in some form. In some form, we never have to say that personality is lost. Yeah. My That's a great God. comfort to you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. God. You know, mm -hmm. I can relax now. I'll get some yeah. sleep tonight. Wow. <laughs> you're welcome. You're yeah. Welcome. You're amazing. Um, now, one book. You're, you're, if, if someone's never heard of you, which is really hard to believe. Right. But if there is that one soul out there, they're probably somewhere Australia or somewhere. Uh -huh. And so now what if you were yeah, to say, back. read, yeah, read one book that would capture your writing, um, which one book would you tell them to read? That that is a really tough question. Now, thank you very much for that. Um, put me on the spot. I it's like. People will ask me that when I'm selling my books in person. Which one should I start? Which with which is your favorite? Yeah, well, don't I don't have that. a I don't have a favorite kid either. I love them all. Um, I would say right now, read Augment Nation. It is, I think, an important book. It's not just an entertaining book. It's not just a book that will make you think. I think it's a very important book for our times. And so uh, that's probably the one that I would recommend right now. And it's not just a matter of, oh, I always like my latest book best, because I've written other books since then. And I, I like them all for various reasons, or I think I do. Sometimes yeah. I wonder. But that's uh, I would certainly recommend that. Now, people, a friend of mine uh, compared Primus Labyrinth to Michael Crichton and said, you know, that's so, so much like that. If people are fans of Michael Crichton, read that book. Naida, uh, I think, is a very, very endearing character, the alien symbiote. And so, you know, that's interesting. The dispossession of Dylan Knox, if they're tending to like romance, that has the strongest romance element of any of my books. But I loved, although I love to have a love story, I always have a good love story in them. So is that a long end that, you know, I'm yeah. sort of waffling there, but Augment Nation would be number one pick for now. Okay. Well, Mike, Michael Crichton, I, I think I've heard of him. Does he write? I He, he wrote some pretty good stuff. Okay. Yeah, you know, he probably doesn't have that big a following, but I no. think he had talent. I think he had a lot of talent. I can't find him on Amazon, but I'll, I'll try and try and figure out who this guy is, I, you know. But, well, you know, but, oh, the, the reason, too, I asked, was well, nothing wrong with picking your newest published book, because in a sense, don't you find that each time you write a book, you get a little better? I I like to hope so, yes. I like to hope so. I certainly try to experiment with each new book to try to do something different that I haven't done before and stretch, you know, uh, whether it's muscles or whatever you want to call it, your writing muscles, your abilities, your skills, try to stretch them and do something a little bit different for me uh, to make it more interesting. Whether they're better, you know, again, that gets back to the question of, are they good? How do I know when they're good? I'm not yeah. sure if I know that this is a better book than other books. Everybody will have their favorite, but I always do try to do something different and, and fresh and stretch myself. Well, I just think we learn something each time we go through the process and you get something published. Because if you were right. to look back at your very first book or first written story, you'd probably go, oh, and, and want to make changes just because we grow. I, I would think, but maybe not. Maybe. Oh no, that's that's very very true. Um, and it, I'm sure it's a temptation for every writer to want to go back and fix things that they kind of are not a, a, as impressed with or think they could do better now. But you can't, obviously. Once it's published, it's out there, and that's it. So you go and uh, write another one that you think will be as good or better and different and stretch yourself and we'll find a whole new audience a whole new following yeah yeah i always go to a different like to a mall 
bathroom and drop my books off and, <laughs> and you know you get you grow with a whole new audience you know one of the cool things that i uh ideas that i came across the other day was putting the books and i think it was mark leslie lefebvre who you've <laughs> also interviewed I, I he's very good at marketing he suggested putting books in those little um, mini libraries that they have in neighborhoods and stuff the free yeah. libraries that people have out at the street just yeah. kind of squirrel a book in there and yeah you know. yeah i put them everywhere i can it's a great idea as long as i don't get arrested i go for it good for you the arresting <laughs> yeah. part is is good if you can avoid that you well know. it depends on how what the cop looks like well they also say no <laughs> no publicity is bad publicity but i yeah, yeah. haven't yeah. gone that far yet oh what have you got to lose right <laughs> it's only it a short right. time you know get in there get dirty so now speaking of of of, of dirty how do you like to um interact with readers or do you do you like do you do social media website do you do i um, i am on facebook quite a bit but uh, you know i have a one of those love-hate relationships with with uh, social media and i'm a very private person so that's that's defeating the purpose of social media if you don't tell about yourself a whole lot what's the point so that's always a little bit uh, uh, not not entirely successful, I would say. I love to talk to people in person, and I actually go to markets and um, artisans markets and such and sell the books in person and talk to everybody. I'll talk your ear off about my books. And then uh, there's nothing better than having somebody come back and say, you know, this was just great. It was wonderful. We had a, a guy, I often share a table with a, another friend of mine who writes thrillers. And we had a guy come and say, well, you know, I wanted to support a local author. And so I bought the book, but I wasn't really expecting anything from either of the books. But, you know, they were really good. And I wanted to apologize because I shouldn't have had that attitude. And I said, you and everybody else, you know, yeah. it's the whole thing about being a prophet in your hometown. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll tell you. That's the story of my life. I've heard that's been said. Yeah. Yes. Um well, it's certainly been interesting. Now we'll put we'll put up all your information, of course, and the book, Augment Nation, and of course our guest is the author of this book, and it's uh, Scott Overton. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Alan and Dave. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thanks, Scott. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.